Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. And the question is, did Jesus know the storm was coming? Absolutely. So we can conclude that Jesus made them get in the boat so that they would experience the storm. So we learn obedience to God may come with storms in your life. I've said this before. There's no storm-free zones in the Christian life. Christians are not exempt from trials and tribulations. In my 30 years of being a Christian, I've had some tremendous storms. Hey, I'm going through one right now. Right now. Going through one right now. Somebody once said, in the Christian life, you're either coming out of a storm, going into the storm, or in the middle of a storm. And there's different kinds of storms. We've talked about this here at Calvary Chapel that God uses. There are corrective storms and perfecting storms. Correction storms are allowed to correct disobedience, Jonah. Perfective storms are allowed to mature you to prove what you're worth, Job. Are you getting me? But the most important thing is that you are in God's will. Think about it. It was God who told the disciples to get in the boat. It's the Lord who brought them to the storm and God will bring them through the storm. Somebody once said, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you, anybody know the rest? Through it. The safest place is to be in the will of God, even if that place is in the storm. So, what you going through tonight? What's the problem? Sickness? Perhaps God allowed that to come to you. He's going to heal you. And you're going to have a testimony. Somebody get happy about that. <laughs> and you're going to have a testimony. But he's brought you to it so he can build a testimony. And how can you tell, God, tell people God's a healer if you've never really been healed? And how can you tell people that God is a provider if you've never been in a position where you needed to be provided for? And how can you tell people that God is a miracle-working God if you never had God work a miracle in your life? I'll wait. So you want to be in God's perfect will. You do not listen. You do not want to be in God's permissive will. You want God's perfect will. The enemies of God's people were just laughing and mocking in verses 8 and 9. Just go ahead and peruse right there. But now they're actually planning an attack in verse 8. So notice Nehemiah, what he does. We made our prayers in verse 9 and set uh, Anybody looking at it? Watch. They do the spiritual. Get this. They do the spiritual and they do the practical. There's something very spiritual when you do something very practical. Sometimes I think people think that they're separate. 
Some people think that it's spiritual to just sit and wait for God to do something. Listen, you don't do that when you want a sandwich, do you? These are just things I sit at my desk and think about. You don't do this when you want a sandwich, do you? You don't just sit there and say, you know what? I pray I get a sandwich. Lord. Lord, if it's your will. Lord. Lord, if it's your will that I eat, then the refrigerator will open up. And the ham will come out, and wheat bread will come out, and the lettuce will float out, and the mayonnaise and everything will be right there, and the sandwich will make itself. If it's your will, God, no. You don't do that. It's a practical thing. You get up, you open the door, you get the stuff, and you make a sandwich. And by the way, I think at least I've, I've even seen people eating was a very spiritual thing. I've watched people eat and they look like they were worshiping. So eating and eating. <laughs> There's a spiritual and practical thing there. So they set a watch. Okay, let's get more spiritual. They set a watch and they prayed. And we see the same thing. I want you to write this down. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Luke 21, 36. Watch and pray. Mark 14, 38. Jesus said to Peter, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching with all perseverance. Notice, watch and pray. That's a balance. Somebody once called it sanctified common sense. Some Christians have no sanctified common sense. And notice in verse 10, very interesting in verse 10. I want you to look at it again. Judah said the strength of the laborers are failing. In other words, there's excitement and the newness of the project is wearing off. Now listen, Satan's bag of tricks is pretty deep, but not very original. Satan couldn't affect them from without, so now he begins within. The tribe of Judah starts grumbling and complaining. Judah was the strongest and bravest tribe. Judah was the tribe of the great kings and ultimately Jesus himself. So discouraging words coming out of their mouth was especially discouraging. Middle way of the project, everybody's tired. They don't feel like continuing. And Judah says, hey, our strength is failing us. In other words, we're exhausted. We're worn out. And Judah starts grumbling and complaining. Grumbling is contagious. And it doesn't take much for it to spread. They said, Nehemiah, there's a lot of trash and rubbish to remove. And we're not able to build the walls for the trash and the rubbish in verse 10. So the enemy knows if mockery doesn't work, then he'll try to assault and attack. And if that doesn't work, then he'll try to discourage you. Second Corinthians 2, 11. We are not ignorant of Satan's tactics. And if that doesn't work, then he uses someone in the church to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. So notice, they say the rubbish is everywhere. We're never going to get through this mess in verse 10. Are you looking at it? You see, at this point, they're losing focus and focusing on the wrong thing. Instead of looking at how far they've come, now they're looking at how far they got to go. Keep in mind, the walls have been torn down for hundreds of years, so there's a lot of rubbish that's collected over time. But think about it. Clearing out the garbage wasn't an option. It had to be done. If they didn't do it, 
It would have continued to build up and destroy them. The same is true of Christianity. God can't use you until you clear out the rubbish, take out the garbage, clear out your thought life, clear out your magazine collection, clear out your computer, clear out your mind. The Bible calls it renew your mind. You renew your mind by reading the Bible, put God's word in. And if you do, you'll push out the garbage. Somebody once said, garbage in, garbage out, rubbish in, rubbish out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. When the rubbish continues to build up, that's what the Bible calls being conformed by the world. When your mind is renewed by the word of God, you're transformed by the Holy Spirit. So whatever you're doing with the rubbish, that determines your condition, conformed or transformed. Notice in verse 11. The enemy is saying we're going to ambush them to cause the work to cease. Listen, that's the whole point. In verse 11, you can write that in your margin. This is the whole point, to cause the work to cease. And obviously some Jews were in earshot of their comments. So they came and note this 10 times. Are you looking at that in verse 12? They came 10 times and said, from wherever you go, you guys turn, they're going to be upon us. Now, they're already dealing with discouragement, and now Danny Downer comes 10 times. Hey, wherever you turn, they're going to be there. Wherever you turn, they're going to be there. Man, these are kind of like Eeyore Christians. Oh, no, we're going to die. Oh, no, we're going to be killed. Look, just tell me once. Okay, these guys come 10 times. Now, in Deuteronomy, God gave them specific instructions on going to war. If you got married, you were supposed to stay home for one year. Write this down. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. As a matter of fact, I think I have it for you on the screen. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. I do. The officers shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. In other words, God in his infinite wisdom knows when you're getting ready for battle. If you have a guy who is scared and worried about everything and he's sweating and the battle hasn't even started yet, send that guy home. Nobody can go to battle with a baby. Fear infects everybody. These guys are telling Nehemiah 10 times. It gets a little discouraging. Ten times. Over and over again. I'm stuck there. Ten times. Over and over. And instead of, you know, using his tongue to encourage and lift up, he's using his tongue to discourage and bum out. You know, use your tongue to encourage, not discourage. And if we could learn this, there'd be more love and less gossip in the church. The Bible talks about the tongue, a small member, but very powerful. The tongue is the only part of the body that comes with its own cage. And if you can just keep the cage shut, we're good. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I need to say that again. If we can keep the cage shut. We're good. Something to think about on your way home. 
that little thing between your teeth is a lot of power. Once you let something go out from your mouth, you, you can't reel it back in. It's out there and it's gone forever. I got to read you this. I've read it to you before. It's Yiddish folklore offers this telling tale about words. One such man had told so many malicious untruths about the local rabbi, overcome by remorse. He begged the rabbi to forgive him. He said, Rabbi, tell me, how can I make amends? And the rabbi sighed. Take two pillows, go to the public square and cut the pillows open, wave them in the air and then come back. Well, the man quickly went home, got two pillows and a knife, ran to the public square, cut the pillows open, waved them in the air, ran back as quickly as he could to the rabbi's chambers. Rabbi, I did just what you said. The rabbi said, good. And then he smiled. Now, to realize how much harm is done by gossip, go back to the square and, and, and the man interrupted, collect all the feathers. You can't do it. Because the feathers represent words. And once you let those words go out of your mouth, you can't take them back. That's why you got to watch your words. And I really feel burdened. I honestly, for some reason, on this night, I feel very, very burdened for the mothers and the fathers here who have children as it relates to your mouth in your home. I don't know why. I don't have this in my notes. I don't have this here. It's not written down. I wasn't thinking about this earlier, and nobody said anything to me. And there's nothing going on in the church that I know of. I'm sure there is, but not that I know of, because there's always something. I'm just saying I feel very burdened because I know the damage that you're doing to your child. You're hurting them tremendously. You're hurting them. And you think you're helping them. Don't listen to them. You don't listen to your child. You don't obey your child. You do what is in the best interest of your child. Always. Because they're going to want one thing and you're going to know in the best interest of them, they need something else. But if you're not a strong parent, You're going to wind up doing what they feel is in their best interest or what's good for them. Sometimes you need to tell them, look, you're going to do this, and that's what you're going to do, and we're not going to talk about it. That's it. Done over. Good discussion. And if you don't do that, you're, you're setting them up for failure. And then the Bible says you can't sow the wind and not expect to reap the whirlwind. You can't sow peas and not expect to get peas. If you sow peas, you ain't going to get watermelons. Thank you. It's just horticulture, it's all. So you can't sow certain attitudes and positions with your children and not expect that to come back at you. So be careful. And you're losing respect in their eyes. You really are. And please, don't make them your friend. Don't make your kids your friend. <laughs> That's always a mistake. Hey, ain't that the truth? That's always a mistake. Any parent has been a parent for a minute. 
You know that's a mistake. Don't try to be their friend. Trying to be your friend? I don't need no friends. (laughs) I need a vacation. (laughs) In verse 13 through 18, all right, we're going to stop reading, and I'm going to start collectively putting this together for you. Nehemiah positions men at the opening lower part of the wall. And then he said to the leaders, and I just kind of want you to peruse with me in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Then he said to the leaders, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Nehemiah said, remember the Lord and fight for your brethren. Notice he doesn't say fight with your brethren. He doesn't say fight with your husband or with your wife. Fight for your children. Fight for them. And take a stand for your homes and take a stand for your sons. Take a stand for your daughters. And here I see a good leader in Nehemiah. He's reminding them what they're fighting for. You'll fight harder when you keep in mind how much there is to lose. Well, in verse 15, when the enemy realized that they knew of their plans, when the enemy realized that they knew what he was up to, when the enemy realized that they were watching and praying, when the enemy realized that they were going to stand against them, then they turned to their work and the work began again. Why? Because the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And notice in verse 16, some of the servants did the work of defending and some did the work of building. Interesting. They had a sword at their side and a trowel in their hands. In other words, look at verse 16. The kingdom of God was built with both sword and trowel, a sword to come against spiritual forces of wickedness in high places and a trowel to do the work of building up the people of God. In one hand, something to do the work. In the other hand, a weapon. There's a famous sermon preached by C.H. Spurgeon called the sword and the trowel. The sword represents the word of God. You know that. And a trowel represents service to God. We need the word of God in order to offer service to God. If you want to be a strong Christian, you need a sword and a trowel. Now, in verses 19 through 23, I want you to just peruse it with me. I'm not going to read it. But as they're working on the wall, there's distance between them and they're separated from each other. Notice in verse 20, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, look at verse 20. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Underline that. Rally to us there. That whole, that whole verse underline. Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Really interesting here. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally together. Nehemiah knew that they had to keep in communication while doing the work. The trumpets were a new way to stay in communication. The trumpets were like an ancient radio walkie-talkie. The point of the trumpets was so that they, could, they wouldn't be caught off guard. From sunup to sundown, even staying overnight at Dort Arena. I mean, in, in Jerusalem by the walls, I'm sorry. Staying overnight. They were dedicated. They dedicated themselves to working. They didn't even change their clothes. Look at that in verse 23. They didn't even change their clothes except for washing. In verse 21, notice it says, so we labored in the work. Can I tell you something? The work of the Lord is labor. Children's church, ushering, greeting, Calvary cares, one step, hospital visitation, cafe. God is looking for laborers. Some people think God is looking for preachers. God is looking for laborers. Can somebody say amen? Uh Uh-huh. He's looking for laborers. And you're laboring. And while you're laboring, he might call you to preach. 
God calls busy people, people who are laboring. He called Peter and Andrew while they were mending their nets. He called Gideon while he was threshing the grain. He called Moses while he was watching the flock. He called David while he was tending the flock. Luke 10, 2, Jesus said, the harvest is great. The labors are few. Interesting. Jesus said that 2,000 years ago, it is still true today. And notice this here. I, I can't go by this. When they heard the sound of the trumpet, we rallied together. Write this down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. When we hear the trumpet, we will rally together. Isn't that interesting? Now I'm coming in for a landing right here. Can I ask you to pray through seven words? I'm going to ask you to pray over the next several weeks through seven words and listen to what God tells you. And those words are found in verse six. The people had a mind to work. Don't say, God, I want to be in the ministry. Say, God, I want the ministry to be in me first. Because if the ministry is in you, then you'll be in the ministry. Ask God to show you where you're to serve. Perhaps you aren't able to get involved and serve right now. Maybe you're able to help support in a greater financial way. So the work of the ministry can be done. Remember, everyone can do something. Everyone needs to be doing something. And everyone needs to take his or her place on the wall, building the kingdom. Satan is the master at finding the breach in the wall. And here at Calvary Chapel, listen, this is God's church. It's not my church. You know, somebody said to me Sunday, and it was just a misnomer, and I understood. Um, I didn't agree with it. And I told them nicely, um, they said, he, he said, you know, the Lord's showing me to help you build your church, Pastor Rodney. And I told him, I said, thank you. I appreciate that. But it's not my church. It's God's church. It's not my church. I, I'm a servant like everybody else. I just have the position of being the senior pastor, but I am a servant in God's church. And some people are greeters. Some people are cafe people. Some people are Calvary Cares people. Some people are one-step people. And that's great. Everybody's where they need to be, on the wall. The point is we are building the wall together. We're doing this together. And if we don't do it together, then it won't be done because God doesn't function that way. God doesn't move that way. God moves in unity. When the people were gathered in one accord, then the Holy Spirit fell. He did not fall when the people were all scattered all over the place and all over, running all over the place, or maybe their hearts were all over the place. No. Their hearts were gathered in one accord for one purpose, and then God moved. And God's going to move the same way here. And I really believe this still, that we're going to build 
this church, God's church, more seats for God's people. Not more seats so we can say we're a big, cool church. I don't care about that. I, I, honestly, guys, I'm telling you, I don't, matter of fact, the bigger the church, sometimes the bigger the headaches. Pray for me. I ain't kidding you. But you know what? It's so worth it for a whole lot of reasons on so many levels. It's so worth it to be where God's called you to be and to be in his will, not his permissive will, in his will. We do the work of God together. It's not my church. It's God's church. It's not Nehemiah's wall. It's God's wall. And that's how he was able to rally the people because he helped them to understand that it was God's wall and they were a part of God's thing. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.